0: well hey there hello hello i
1: love that we always greet it like we're opening a door to like a haunted house and we're like hello is anyone there
0: <laughs> you opened welcome to our podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> welcome to our haunted podcast where there may or may not be people i don't know <laughs> there may or may not be jump scares we can't tell you we don't we won't know we don't we know there. we don't know either come along with us <laughs> to be honest with you We do plan this, as as scattered and action as it feels, there's planning that goes into this. So just be afraid for our spouses, for our mental health. Be afraid for that. Because this is planned.
0: And by planned, we mean
1: 10 minutes ago, we sat down and
0: we were like, what should we talk about? (laughs) It's more of a pluh than a plan, but, you know, know. um, hi, I'm Hannah. And I am Emma.
1: And welcome to Literarily Speaking, where we talk about books, where the words are. So the page. (laughs) If you didn't know, now you know. Now you know. We are going to be talking about a lot of different topics today. We're going to be moving through them. We're going to be doing a little this, a little that, a little zig, a little zag, a little, you know. Zook, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) Who could say? (laughs) So... Welcome back. Thanks for joining. And I think we're going to get into a couple of hot topics. So maybe like a quick trigger warning just in case you, um, are someone who's procreated and you're just like lovingly putting this on in the car with your children, maybe your in-laws or like a new friend who you like don't know that well, we're going to talk about sex on this podcast. So, you know, I'm just going to like give you that warning now. So you can be like, whoop, okay. Let's change the channel for this one and then come back.
0: But before, do come back. Before your kids are like, mommy, what does insert thing here mean? We don't want to create. Yeah. We're not
1: even going to give you the terms because that way there's no, there's nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Um, so this is your sign to come back to us when you're alone <laughs> um, or with people you trust. <laughs>
0: so. It's your choice. These are your choices.
1: It's a choice that you make. So, Emma, what are we talking about today? We're talking about a lot of things.
0: Should we? Are we doing a list? Or are we going like topic by topic? Because I can give a rundown on what we plan to cover, if you like. If that's yeah, let's
1: do to. like a quick table of contents. Sure. Let's go through it. Let's see what's what okay
0: so. well re the trigger warning slash general warning for those who are with sensitive ears we are going to be we discussing are we are. <laughs> what we like to refer to as sexual deviancy in novels and what do we mean by that well you'll have to just stick around and find out because we're going to talk about it we're not even sure so <laughs> it's a surprise <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> for everybody <clears throat> the next re- thing we're going to talk about is a viewpoint that i saw Um, someone say about new writers finding this to be true and that is that new writers tend to view their books like a movie when they're writing them which I think is really interesting because I think most of us are not aware that we're doing that until someone like points it out Um, so I think that'll be interesting I can definitely say for my part I used to do that and I've sort of trained myself not to anymore Um, and we're just gonna have a discussion about that and see where we land and then we're going to talk about author hot takes and book talk drama because if you're on book talk you'll know what i'm talking about when i'm book talking about and we're gonna find <laughs> out we're gonna we're gonna have a discussion and then finally the last thing we're going to talk about is when authors describe things a character could have no way of knowing about which is not breaking the fourth wall necessarily but sort of like makes the reader step back and think how would you know that how would you know yeah.
1: Yeah, it'd be like me talking about budgeting every month. Um sure. how would you know what that's like? I have no idea. How would you How would you imagine a circumstance where that exists? Because it doesn't. So, we have a lot to dive into. We have a lot to cover. So, let's talk about
0: sex, baby. Baby. <laughs> okay. Um I will note that the this topic was emailed to Hannah and a long list of other topics. That was just the question, why does everyone want to write about sexual deviancy right now?
1: And my question is, what do you mean by sexual deviancy? Because I feel like that term specifically is very quickly attributed to like some weird stuff going on. Well, And my barometer for weird and your barometer for weird might be different. Sure, sure. But like typically that's not like, oh yeah, I can relate to that kink. It's more like, Oh, okay. You have like a secret club, <laughs> secret handshake. Like you're not telling people at the PTA think, that you do this.
0: I gotta say, what inspired this was I was scrolling the book talk, and mm. I came across this discussion. People will, like stitch these TikToks, of course, and I can't I cannot remember the, what the audio was, but it was basically saying like, "Oh, yeah, my taste in reading are totally normal," and then it cuts to like the things that they're reading. Yeah. And it's things like I think like the ice barbarian books that I keep seeing pop up or Yeah, whatever.
1: I've seen that. I've seen that. And Which I don't understand because it's giving like okay, um, they're they're like blue people, and then it's like, no, they're Yetis, no, they're Vikings, no, they're I'm just like, I don't I don't know what an ice barbarian is supposed to give me. Sure, I don't, sure. I'm, not, I'm not tracking that okay. as like a a species. I don't don't know what I'm supposed to take from that.
0: Well, there was also that TikTok you sent me where we laughed endlessly about where it was the description of like the dark creature, like reaching out with his like tentacle. (laughs) And there was some spice involved with it. And I have to say, listen, I'm not kink shaming. I'm not. Um,
1: I don't want to yuck your yum.
0: I don't. If that's what you like, you feel free to like it. It's a little weird when it enters my sphere because I'm not into that and i think there's a lot of layers you could look at deviancy like through and like consider it through and not even just like and that's like the more extreme side i think it's kind of like otherworldly creatures as a whole like it's an octopus it's a yeti of some kind it's like a it does not big
1: thing this this cover was going all over book talk it's a very popular book talk book it has like a cow skull head and like a werewolf body some sort of a monster so like monsters generally that don't have a specific species
0: yeah yeah it's giving to me a little bit of bestiality and (laughs) i'm uncomfortable
1: i'm uncomfortable so this is this is where it's an interesting line for me because a lot of books in the fantasy space have shifters as like a part of their magic system so they have some sort of beast form and they have some sort of like bipedal humanoid form um Oftentimes, it's werewolves. Like, sure. let's be honest, that's the most common. That's yeah. that's almost in, I would say, the majority of fantasy kind of spaces. You mm-hmm. come across like a wolf shifter. Um, and no one's really batting an eyelid at that. We're like, we kind of accept that, like, that's pretty That's pretty expected. That's pretty normal. So, some shifters, like, there's a lot of dragon shifters going on right now. Mm-hmm. People are talking about it as if it's off the back of fourth wing. I personally feel like draggers draggers? dragon shifters have already been a thing before fourth wing but i'm sure it has increased it in the scope of popularity. um and then there's you know like completely invented creatures that like only the author came up with. yeah. slash people. so like shifting back and forth. but it came up interestingly to me because i'm in the middle of a trilogy right now. so the series... The first title in the series is called A Promise in Fire by Jasmine Walt. I'm enjoying it, by the way. Um, And one of the characters is a dragon shifter. And so, and it's not the first time that I've come across a dragon shifter. So for those of you who've read the uh, Zodiac Academy books, there is also a dragon shifter in that. So it's something I've read before. It's something I understand. The part for me, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: for me for and you. mine, the, <laughs> the part for me that gets kind of iffy, um is if a character has a beast form and that character is a love interest and there's any sort of spice in the book yeah i get sort of twitchy about it because there's just an element where like some of the like for example like a half shifted form like they have claws but they're a person or like there's just there's an element of it that for me is is very we're approaching bestiality we're comfortable with fuzz (laughs) in places that normally fuzz would not go and so and in fact it's encouraged in some spaces so like um one of the books that got a lot of praise on Book Talk. i read it i thought it was fine um i like the author though it's slaying the shifter prince and it was a good book but he has a tail okay i'm gonna leave it to your imagination but he uses the tail so (laughs) i i it's you know again <laughs> i don't i don't ever want to yuck someone's yum but at what point are we like comfortable saying like th- i am open to animalistic things mm-hmm. instead of like calling it just like another kind of kink i'm like i think we have to i think we have to look ourselves in the mirror at some point babes i think we <laughs> i think we have to accept i think we just have to accept what we like and like if that's what you like you know good for you like that's fine (laughs) that's okay but i have another point that i'll get to in a minute but i think one author who does the divide really well is actually jla she does in from blood and ash there's wolf shifters and she does a good job of like there are pack instincts and like things that are animalistic but it's always in like a human form when anything happens so that for me gives me some woosaw but Mm -hmm. yeah that that's kind of a primary point and then i'll come back to a secondary point
0: well i mean I, DV and Z again as you said kind of has this like pretty extreme connotation um i think again that there are layers to that and i consider maybe D V is the right word but just like more explicit than is necessary is just some of what gets written in these like fantasy romance books or romantic fantasy whichever one is your primary genre and I don't know maybe it's because I'm not well versed in like the erotica sphere of writing but it's it goes beyond softcore and it gets pretty it's just like porn on page and again live your truth live your inner goddess truth whatever it is you want um <laughs> but those that get it will get it there's just like and everyone always praises the like love triangle interest trope or whatever but I think that gets taken, why choose right why choose but that gets taken a lot like away just from the trope and taken into like orgy territory and I don't know it's just me I don't it's just not for me personally and I just I'm seeing it a lot more so I'm like maybe I'm the weirdo and I'm just like the weird one for not being interested in this but I don't know
1: I so I don't mind it if it makes sense but a lot of times it doesn't make sense. And I think, I think there is a difference between like, and and you talk about like fan fiction a lot in this space. I think there's a difference between writing erotica and writing a fantasy novel that has spice and I think that both are valid and like you do you, Mm -hmm. but I think people who are writing erotica put it in the fantasy space, and it should just, it should just live in the erotica space, and then the people who want to visit that space, they can open the door, they can make themselves a cup of tea, they can stay for a while, but in the fantasy space, it's often marketed as like there's a whole plot around this story, when actually there's not really a whole plot around the story, you know, it's like saying that like, a movie that's entirely about a sex scene has a plot, like most of the time it doesn't. it's it's just right. that that's what you're there for. whereas if it's woven cleverly in, you know, um, a TV show that does this, for example, would be like Bridgerton. so sure. it's based on romance novels, right? like it's mostly about the pursuit of or achievement of a coupling and, and the coupling that comes with that coupling. Sure. so <laughs> you know, it, it's mostly about that. but there are plot elements, there's character development, there's stuff going on around that. That makes the sexual parts make sense. So, and again, I don't, I don't want to yuck someone's yum. I, I think it's fine if you just want to read erotica. I think that's totally valid. <laughs> but I, I think it's marketed in the same spaces as fantasy books because it involves otherworldly characters, and that doesn't make it fantasy. You still need to have a plot. <laughs> like you still have to have something going on. Like it can't just be like, I fell into the woods, and while I was in the woods,
0: <laughs> and like,
1: that that doesn't make a fantasy book, you know? Like, it just doesn't.
0: Well, and there's an entire category of erotica already that exists called non-human. And that is exactly what it sounds like. It's wolves and that, monsters and That's what it says on the vampires. tin. It's what it's, it's, what what it's called, and that's what it refers to. And again, I, I, I'm not judging anyone for writing what they want or reading what they want. I don't care. Um, you go. The point is, there's already a space Here's for that in erotica, where the entire purpose of that story whatever is like it's this human and whatever this creature is and they're getting busy
1: and it doesn't need to have a whole story around it like the story elements will be there but that's not really why you're there right you know i think another element that comes up a lot for me often in shifter spaces but also in other spaces are like spells powers or circumstances that increase lust Mm
0: -hmm. um
1: and that for me i think I wouldn't call it a microtrope, maybe it is, but it's something that comes up frequently and I think it's something that actually people should potentially try to really carefully around because for me it comes to the question of consent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot, there's a lot that's, in, that's inculcated into us as women that we don't need to have consent or like that being used is a good thing. And I think if that's your thing and you enjoy that and you walk in saying i am a sovereign person i have control over my body and i'm happy with that term great but there is a there is a kind of an insidious piece that is often communicated to women that like we should be used um and we were used for centuries by men <laughs> for breeding for lust for whatever you know and i and i think there are sometimes less recognition of where that term comes from or like where that that kind of sexual culture around like dirty used Mm -hmm. um like not her choice or like she can't help herself kind of a thing um i I think that that kind of stumbles into the vernacular sometimes and i think an author has to choose that really carefully and i think they have to handle that really carefully so an example would be um i just read on book talk you know the like swipey story things so i was reading one of them um and it was about uh a shifter pack and it was werewolf shifter story and um, the author was marketing her own work and she was talking about how and, and this isn't the only time i've seen this i've seen this quite a lot especially in like the werewolf genre um heat so the, the the woman the female main character is going into heat and that doesn't mean she's going on her period although that's actually what it would mean sure. so we we've, we've divorced ourselves from the biological reality, fine, we're suspending our disbelief. in this universe, or in whatever universe they're creating, heat is basically just you're- you have a high sex drive. you're like totally ready to go. but in a lot of cases it changes not just her scent, which is, you know, okay. a little- a little- a little <laughs> shoulder shake there. Okay, like, okay. <laughs> okay. okay. that's fine. let's just pretend it's vanilla. that's fine. okay. <laughs> so (laughs) mine's hazelnut Personally, in my head (laughs) that's what periods smell like that's fine um (laughs) it's totally cool um (laughs) but if you get past that there's this other piece that like i was reading through the the kind of swiping stories and basically she can't help herself she like she feels so drawn to this character and then he feels so drawn to her and he proceeds to have sex with her in this state now, for me that crosses the line of like if you can't help yourself mm-hmm. whether that's from a drug whether that's from a spell and um, there's another uh book that i read recently that was really good it was queen of roses so it's a king arthur retelling focused on morgan the king's sister and it was really really good um i mentioned it on the last podcast actually but there's a portion of it where one of the characters has magic that enhances your feelings and so one of those feelings that he enhanced was lust sexual attraction etc and the author handled it really well in that the main character called the person out and said these aren't my feelings you're influencing me and so instead of just like letting that happen or in fact leaning into it as like this is hot like you don't have any control we can't help ourselves I think there's an important distinction around consent that needs to happen there. And actually another author who deals with this really well. So it's not in terms of shifting, but it's just in terms of um, a magical circumstance in which the woman finds herself basically in heat or in lust and, and mm-hmm. she can't, like, she's losing her mind. Um, Sarah Parker from the to Bleed a Crystal Bloom series handles this exceptionally in terms of reinforcing consent, although both parties are tempted. And I think there's a, there's another piece of this that you can just go much lighter, which is like, both of them are drunk, for example, like really, really drunk. Both of them are, for some reason, in some circumstance, not at a hundred percent of their mental or physical capacity. And I think there is a piece of this that through the fantasy element, we can lose the importance of consent because of the fantastical pieces. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just really important that, at least for me, that's, that's something that I place importance upon is like, I I don't want to ever read about something where the woman doesn't have a choice or, or the character doesn't have a choice for that matter. But I, that for me like crosses a line and it's something that comes up quite a lot in terms of like some sort of decisional impairment or magical
0: impairment that leads to sex. Well and I mean I think so often when the other whoever the other individual is that's influencing them is like considered out of the character's league or is like special because they're magical or because they're insert special trait here, a prince or whomever. So there's almost this kind of like, again, this is a kink that comes into play. And I'm not going to say you shouldn't have that kink, but like recognize that a lot of other people don't share the same kinks as you and don't want to read about a girl essentially being raped or having in a a situation where she might normally say no or might actually have have the chance to say no is like embracing it and it's just uncomfortable for a lot of people yeah
1: and i think it's not so much like don't do it don't write it it's more put it as a trigger warning up front Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that there is non-consensual sex and a lot of authors again do this really well and explain it or intentionally go there for the reader's sake as part of the character's journey but i think sometimes it's almost like a behind the scenes woven in element that's not addressed and i think that's really the that's the change i want to see in the in the authorial community but like that that for me is like a piece of sexual deviancy that is often kind
0: of under under addressed right well because it's like in, in one it's not real quote unquote right so it's kind of like I think it's easier yeah. for readers to take themselves out of what the situation would really be like unless they've directly experienced it in which case even if you handle it well you still need to put that trigger warning there because the unsuspecting reader who might have experienced a trauma that you don't know about is reading your book so um, i think that's just an important little factoid little consideration i do think
1: that's a really great benefit of book talk is actually the importance around trigger warnings and how people talk about them i think that book talk handles that really well actually most of the time in terms of um i have this specific issue or i have this specific thing that i don't want to read about this was present in this book um and the author either handled it well didn't handle it well etc but i think the book talk community is actually really good at identifying triggers and pointing out. You know where it's where it's handled well and where it's not handled well
0: was that the second point that you wanted to address with
1: it was indeed deviating. it okay. was indeed
0: ma'am okay well i feel like we've covered deviancy in a lot of different aspects here and we've deviated <laughs> deviated from you. You know? listen final final word on this is write what you want and read what you want but maybe tread carefully
1: but also I think, you know, let's, let's cast a little bit of a warning sure, for, for those who are stumbling into our, into our neighborhoods, unawares, <laughs> unbeknownst to us, you know, if, if you're writing something that is erotica, feel proud of that. Like, it, there's no, there's no <laughs> difference to me in terms of validity between like, a book that is reviewed on, you know, Goodreads or whatever as like pure smut and something that's erotica, like, it doesn't make you less of a writer it just makes you a different writer um and i think it's okay like not everyone needs to be tolkien not everyone needs to be an amazing weaver of stories that could be told around you know the world for the next 200 years like you know look at how well the dromione fanfic um is doing so i don't i don't think it makes you less of a writer it just makes you a different writer
0: and it's again like I don't want to gatekeep genres or anything like that right in the sphere that you want to write in. But I think that it's hard to discuss this without saying there are rules to writing because that's kind of the whole like great thing about being a writer is that you have like creative license. However, generally speaking, when it comes to like books as a whole, maybe not so much in the romance sphere, because that's so character driven and contemporary fiction is also very character driven. I think I spoke on this last week. There needs to be stakes if you want to have a plot and that this is just my opinion as a writer and as a reader you can feel differently if you like um but if your stakes are like she must choose between this man and this man to me that's not a plot you know what i mean so i don't know that's just yeah. a sidebar of like what we've kind of been talking about but that's just my opinion
1: but i think it's also valid as consumers of this genre that we voice our opinions and say this is this is where we think the rules are. as writers in this genre we're allowed to break those rules. so you know both it's a yes and. (laughs) it's a yes and. do whatever you want. this whole section was pointless. do whatever you like. (laughs) but but i i mean i just i think it's something that isn't really addressed. like no one's really talking about it and i think maybe we should just spur the conversation. maybe. like you know just just sprinkle
0: it in there. A little sprinkle. Okay, so should we move on to point D? We should. Let's move. Okay, we're gonna little. We're gonna hop on our segways and we're gonna room on over to writers viewing their books like a movie during the writing process.
1: Okay, I just want to start this. So Emma brought this up as a topic idea. Um, and she was like, I think it's really interesting to point out when writers do this. And I was like, well, it's very interesting because I'm a writer who does this. So, (laughs) uh, I was this many days old when I learned about it. Let's dive into it. But just before we get into it, je do this. Uh, (laughs) I, (laughs) I do this. Um, and I didn't know it. It's like when you find out about the people who don't have an inner monologue. I didn't know it was a thing to not do this. So,
0: (laughs) dive on in. <laughs> well, I'm interested to hear your perspective first because I don't think I do this and I, maybe I do this and I don't know that I do this, but I don't feel okay. like I do this. So I'm wondering what it is that's going through your mind when you're writing. What's it like for someone who does What's
1: this? It well, like. let me take the mic. <laughs> um, so I should say, as a reader, one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is picturing what's being described. So I will quite often as I'm reading, close my eyes and like imagine the scene as if I'm in it. Um, I'll imagine the buildings, I'll imagine the nature scene, you know, I'll really try to visualize what occurs. Um, and that was one of the reasons that getting back into reading was so powerful for me because it's it's like creating your own film set in your head. Like it's very much for me an immersive experience. And the less I can picture a book, to me, the worse the book is. So the less I can picture the surroundings, the less I I see the scene unfolding, the less I can picture the characters, um, the more for me, I'm like, it's a meh book. Like you're either not building enough of the world for me to get it, Or the characters aren't enough for me to get there. And another thing that authors do that I don't connect to, so this isn't a bad thing, but it's just something I don't connect to, um, and I know Emma does connect to this, is under describing characters to let the reader make choices. I don't like that because I need the visual to get into the story, whereas other readers like my dear sweet best friend, Emma. I was going to say dear sweet friend, but she would have lost her marbles. But believe just it? <laughs> I just wanted to save us time. I just wanted to save us time. So <laughs> unlike me, Emma prefers that because it gives her the sovereignty to decide what the character looks like and to make those choices for herself and, and basically create the world herself as the writer writes rather than being told what the world is like. Totally fine, two opposite sides of the stream, Stream stream's still flowing, all good but when i'm when i'm writing i absolutely picture it unfolding in the same way that i picture it unfolding as a reader like i'm Mm -hmm. picturing what it looks like um and it's definitely like a movie plot like okay so the camera's picked up at this point like what you know what what's happening where have we gone and also does it make sense that there's a gap in between the last point that i left you like is it too much time do i need to summarize the time that's passed or is it like a couple of hours and you can like and there was evening and there was morning and you can kind of keep it moving you know i definitely picture it like a film Hmm. so without repeating myself too many more times that's probably what it's like for me
0: i think it's interesting because i don't know i think there's A couple of different ways to think about this, because I don't know that viewing your book like a movie is the same as visualizing what it is you're writing. I think a good author has to visualize what they're writing to get the scene correct. At the same time, I think if you're viewing it as like if it's a film that's happening and you're watching your book as a movie before you even write the words down or even as you're writing the words down, what have you, I think there's... And I don't think you do this. I haven't seen it anyway, but I don't know. Maybe other writers do this where there's this assumption that the viewer or rather the reader is going to catch things that you, the writer are aware of going on because you can see it in your head and you're thinking like, and then Keira Knightley would walk across this field and there'd be a breeze and the verdant grass flowing around her ankles. And the reader is like, I don't really get what I'm supposed to be seeing here because of. All I'm reading
1: describes. is that she's walking across a field, but what I'm supposed to get is that she's anxious. She has a lot of emotions sure. on her
0: face. So I think something like that. Is that well, what we're I, talking about? Yeah. In a way I think that because re- viewers rely on visual cues in film to understand what's going yeah. on in the scene and readers cannot rely on that. They have to be told what's happening. So I think yeah. there's a disconnect when you write as if it's a movie versus a book in giving all the necessary detail
1: okay then I change my answer I do not believe I do this (laughs) um, but I I guess it's yeah it's it's explaining what writing like it's a movie means so in the sense that you are planning like you're visualizing it yes in the sense that you are expecting readers to pick up on something that you haven't written no because I don't do that like I I really don't I don't ad-lib a lot to books. I don't assume a lot about characters. I won't really imply my own kind of opinion or ideas onto a character. I'll make predictions about what's going to happen next or like what I think that means to them but I'm not gonna change the intention of the character if that makes sense. Like I'm not gonna somehow understand that the character's anxious just because they're pacing they could be pacing because they're angry they could be pacing because um they want to get their steps in like there's any number of reasons for someone to pace you know maybe they have a new fitbit they just want to test it out so (laughs) there's there's any number of reasons for something to happen so i don't do that as a writer in terms of expecting the reader to intuit their own meaning
0: sure i don't think to take it i guess kind of a step further i think this also could refer to writers who are writing with the purpose of like seeing their work become a movie you know okay so, so
1: we're writing for the netflixes and amazon sure. i think it's a yes we're writing and. a plot yeah we're writing a plot that we're like wouldn't this be great as a show and so everything that we're doing is almost episodic or yeah. mm-hmm. very intentionally like scene driven instead of letting the plot unfold or watching it how it unfolds mm-hmm. because. Every single movie or show cuts stuff from books unless it was written to be a show.
0: Exactly. So I think, I I mean, I don't know that any writer necessarily comes to their computer or typewriter or Quill, whatever your medium is, and thinks this is going to be a sick (laughs) series someday. Because I think that you're really doing yourself a disservice if you write like that, because you're going to be very confined to what would make sense in a Netflix world. And that's just not how it makes sense. I mean, people complain ad infinitum about Netflix cutting things from show like from shows that were based off of books that they love. And I think yeah. if you're writing with the purpose of like either I would want to watch this as a movie, or I am writing this with the intent of it being filmed or whatever, yeah. I think that you're really limiting yourself in the the plot and like the world that you could unfold
1: yeah i agree and i think also i always i get a lot of shtick about this because i think a lot of people really don't do this and i don't think you do this so stay tuned but (laughs) i always view movies or shows and books as separate mediums Mm -hmm. i have no qualms nary a qualm about adaptations of books into movies or books into shows because to me it, i just consume them separately. like i don't need it to match the books. i don't need it to be exactly the same. it doesn't bother me. It, it's not something that eats at me when they miss details. whereas like a lot of people for example in the harry potter series they are like oh it wasn't like that in the books. or oh they left all this stuff out. and like for me i'm just like it it doesn't matter because it's separate for me. i'm not i'm not looking to it to be an exact mirror. i know a lot of people do. or like they really are like, clenching about how much justice is done by the show or by the film to the book. Um, another example of that is, like, Shadow and Bone. I know there's a mm. ton of readers who are very, very into the minutia of, like, what they got right, what they got wrong. I'm like, I just loved it. I don't have any notes. I just <laughs> loved it. But I haven't read the books because they are YA. So they're not a book that's interesting to me because of an age thing. But I did love the show. So here we sit Uh, but but i think you know an outlander is very similar i loved the show wouldn't pick up the book but loved the show they lost me when they went to america as most things would (laughs) but but they as soon as they were like and now we're going to america i'm like bye
0: see ya i'm fine (laughs) there's no healthcare there (laughs) fare thee well Uh, bye diana see you next time (laughs) um yeah i mean i agree i don't I I will always, almost always like the book better just because I got to view it in my head first and it's never going to match what they put in the movie or the show. That's what the character looks like. (laughs) And it's fine (laughs) because they don't look like me. So obviously it can't be right. (laughs) They cast you wrong. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't agree with your choices, but it's fine. I don't want to be the one to Um, tell you. (laughs) What is outro? I don't know. I don't see it for me. I it wouldn't be my choice I don't know. but fine <laughs> um but no I agree I don't view them as like they need to match because if you were to do that one making the movie would be pointless because it's just exactly what's already on the book being spoken aloud by an individual Re- li- yeah. listen to an audiobook if that's what you're looking for but I just that, really so funny.
1: we need to pause on audiobooks because okay. This is a micro topic that does not merit a full topic, but it's a point that needs to be made. And I made it on one of the Lost Files episodes. So I'm going to make it now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hijacking this moment. I'm going to make it. Here we go. Audiobooks are so limited. Audiobooks cannot be consumed in the same way that regular books can. And I get the audio girlies out there who love it. Good for you. The thing is, there is an inordinate amount of audiobook readers who are American and their accents ruin it (laughs) ruin it now i'm not saying in my head i'm from america a a very well kept secret but i'm from there (laughs) how could you tell with (laughs) such a lilting accent how could you tell um but but i don't i mean i don't enjoy much about america but i don't enjoy media in the form of books that are read in an american accent because it takes so many phrases to like a yuck place where the phrase was great the writing was great and then they read it and you're like mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> i have no such compunction <laughs> i would burn the world for you like in a british accent hot in some kind of an like eastern european accent hot in an american accent i would burn the world for you <laughs> get out get thee out and it happens so often and audiobooks who are narrated which are narrated by women who put on a voice for the male character i don't know what you're talking about what (laughs) ma'am ma'am what are you trying to say are you okay (laughs) is my male voice not we didn't have a budget for steve the assistant to do the male lines like we we couldn't get anyone we had to resort to you know jenny who's reading (laughs) the main book being like He leaned across the room. What are you talking about? I sat there and I wondered, what was he talking about? (laughs) I am talking about you. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: (laughs) I want to read that
0: book. (laughs) Point (laughs) me to it. (laughs) Coming to (laughs) the doors near you in 2024. (laughs) He leaned across the room. What are you talking about? I sat there wondering what he was talking about. I'm talking about you. This is iconic artistry in the works for, before your very ears people I'm a writer <laughs> But there are people who do write like that so condolences Um Hey you know what no notes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah I mean did you know so, so fun fact Edward Herman narrates audiobooks narrated Narrated, yeah, you're right. Past tense. To me, he's same still way. with us. Yeah, so but,
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't accept it. So <laughs> he's much like Elvis. They're all living on the same island. <laughs> Listen, they're
0: hanging out. It's fine. So, <sighs> all yeah. right. So Hi. audiobooks. Hannah uh, uh, had her rant um yeah i mean just to close out i just um i think you have to visualize what's occurring in your scene to be an effective Mm. scene writer however if you're only focusing on like scene a scene b scene three
1: adaptation for screen yeah
0: yeah, or you're just you're writing dialogue the way an actor would speak it i don't know that's going to translate well to a book.
1: I spun on my heel. It's like a little novella.
0: Something would you like really that. spin
1: on your heel? It's sounds like, dangerous. Be... I don't know. <laughs> well, and like so often, like if you reenact these things in real life, actually Stacey McEwen does a great job on TikTok. She does like forcing my husband to become a like fictional mm-hmm. book character or whatever. But like a lot of the reactions and, and there's a whole TikTok like topic area around doing the things that characters do in books in real life, like growling and hissing. And for those of you, I would say leave us alone. We like it how we like it. We don't shame you, you don't shame us. But like it does look ridiculous when it's like she whipped her head to the opposite side of the room and you like do it. <laughs> you're like it that's kind of a lot actually. <laughs> I mean is it
0: I think I I love hyperbole. I really do. I think it's necessary sometimes.
1: Listen, I don't Um, like just bully. I like hyperbole. I like
0: hyperbole. So anyway, do you have any other comments on writing books as if they were movies? I sure don't. Okay. All So if you're on the book talk, you have been probably privy to this by now.
1: And I just want to say every time I text book talk to Emma, it's book talk that my phone corrects it to and if that doesn't tell you that I'm a boomer
0: I don't know what well (laughs) the book talk told me the book talk (laughs) I have added it into my dictionary on my phone so it stops trying to correct me so I digress if you're on book talk you have seen the recent dramas so should we start with the previous drama that's not really being circulated anymore circa men tv we should
1: because Emma is she's really my correspondent for many things in the outside world, because as we know, I don't venture very often. (laughs) I just don't. So I dabble. So I have almost always come back and said to you, what's happening here? I just, I caught a whiff of something that was like two weeks ago that someone said something and I just Mm -hmm. wanted to understand. So, so let's talk about the first one, the full 90 and then we'll talk about the second one.
0: I cannot remember the author's name or her book's name, but effectively there was a woman who had written a- Which might be better for our legal (laughs) reasons. Who had written a book. I think it was based on Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. And it was fantasy. And basically she had like a deal. She was, they were getting ready to bring them out and to publish them. Mm -hmm. She was doing really well with ARC readers. And it seemed like she was really like in a really good spot as a, a first time author. Um, being published and t- traditionally published which is like if you if you've ever tried it or you've listened to me talk about it is a nightmare and really hard so she gets to this point right I want you to think about this in the perspective of like she got through all of that she got through the hard part of getting and she queried she got an agent she got edited then she found a publisher who was like yes we want to pick it up and it was like at least mm. a duology if not a trilogy so then she says she suffered a mental breakdown and she says that she was i think she mentioned being blackout drunk and like suffering with psychosis i am not a doctor i'm not here to say she did or did not have these symptoms or diseases or illnesses whatever you would like to refer to them as i don't know but she got onto goodreads and she basically wrote really scathing reviews on competitor books and upped her own reviews to like five stars and this was found out someone um leaked it that knew her and knew she was doing it and now she's been dropped by everybody and is no longer in the successful space that she was just in all because she couldn't leave well enough alone and just deal with the fact that there's going to be competition that's how i perceive it anyway
1: yeah i so i saw it very tangentially it was like a stitch of a stitch of a stitch if that makes sense like it was very like the 50th person to talk about this it was n- i was nowhere near ground zero so but i saw this and i it was really interesting to me because i, I still i guess i'm a little bit outside or shocked by the authorial side of book talk mm-hmm. like i consume a lot of the content from authors who are you know, trying to advertise their own work. But I don't really get into the author versus author space. And actually, this is the good spot to talk about writer talk because the toxic, toxic, toxic space that is writer talk makes me want to jump out of a second story window. I don't even watch like it anymore. I, I, don't, I don't bother with it. I, I cannot consume it. I actively avoid it in my algorithm because it's so damaging as a writer to hear people go these are the five things that if you don't do your book's gonna be horrible and then they'll list these arbitrary things that may or may not be helpful to your book and every single writer has videos that are talking about all these different either contradictory or slightly differentiated points that if you don't do within the first hundred pages if you don't do within the first 20 pages if you don't do in your book your book is terrible And to me, it's like the it's the definition of killing creativity. It's saying that you have to follow a specific formula, which is my whole beef with traditional publishing. Mm -hmm. I hate the idea that work isn't valid because it doesn't have this, this specific layout or it doesn't have these specific components. That really chaps my ass. It really bugs me. (laughs) I really don't like it. So that... Space on book talk for me is a no-go zone. Like I hate it because I was writing my (laughs) I was writing my first book. Um she says like she's completed it. She has completed it, but she's doing a rewrite. So is it is it done? Who knows? Um (laughs) Am I being strapped into the rewrite? I am not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the point being, I was in the initial stages of writing my first book, and I was so disheartened by reading it because it wasn't what I was doing. Um, it just wasn't, it wasn't what I saw in my own work, and so I started to become really self-critical. And I think the whole point of writer talk is allegedly to encourage writers, so stop speaking. (laughs) Like, you will encourage writers by not putting that content out into the world. Anyway, the, the idea of boosting your own reviews is a tempting one. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. sit here on my moral high horse and be like, I would never... But, I think there is a space in which you, you begin to do something for the success instead of for the joy. And I understand from a, like, a profit perspective, if writing is your job, how you would take it exceptionally seriously. Because for many people, it's just a hobby. Like for myself, it's not how I earn my money. So there is naturally a survival instinct that's not going to kick in for me in terms of making money with a book that is going to kick in for someone who has put their life on the line or has you know put up specific equity to make their writing career happen and i get that but i think there is a space where you begin to write for the views or the reviews or the success instead of for the writing and i just don't think that's a healthy space to be in even if it is your career
0: Well, you know, it's, I understand, again, wanting to boost your own stuff. I get that. What I don't get is going to non-white authors' books on Goodreads or to LGBTQ Plus authors on Goodreads and giving them bad reviews in an effort to boost yours because that was part of the issue. It wasn't just that she was giving her book good reviews. It was that she was vilifying books by people that don't look like her and then hiding behind which like why i don't know i guess because she thinks like what I, I can only speak to like i see a lot of agents asking for so if you can hear my phone buzzing i put that over there a lot of our agents are asking for like more diverse authors in the books that they're submitting and i get that and which is good yeah it is good there should be and especially if you're writing people of color as your main characters i hope that you're not white if you're doing that um or I
1: hope that they're not your primary main character. I hope they are represented in your book, but I hope that you're not writing about an- ex- this is what Em and I have talked about all the time. I hope that you're not writing from an experience point that you don't have. Um, sure. If you're not a person of colour, you can't- eff- I would say you can't effectively write as a primary point of view person of colour because you haven't lived that experience. And although there's a ton of stuff in writing that is not based on your lived experiences, I've never been to the moon. I get it. But there is, I think, a sacred space around culture, around identity that you just shouldn't kind of shimmy into lightly. Um, and I would say that about any culture. I think you should tread lightly around representing that cultural experience if you haven't had it. But that being said, I think there should be diversity in your book. So mm-hmm. if your book is about, if you're a white author and your book is about all white people, not great. Yeah. Not a 10.
0: Well, and we've always said live truths, and that should be your primary lens through which you view life. Yeah. But yeah, I think that the the biggest issue was less so that she was boosting her own views in her own ratings and that she was trying to take other people's hard work down because I, I assume she's probably threatened and insecure by the fact that these diverse authors and their books are actually like really on the rise in popularity, as they should be.
1: As they should be. And I think there's also a danger... Um, And we've, we've also talked about this a lot personally in our own books around tokenism, whether you're talking about Mm -hmm. the LGBTQ element, whether you're talking about um, the person of color element, there's, there's often, especially in the white writer space, a need to put diverse characters in, which is good, but becomes a tokenism thing because they're, they're just there to be a person of color or to be LGBTQIA+. They're, They're not there to, have their own perspective in the story or to be a wholly formed character. They're just there to kind of tick a box. And that's where it becomes problematic, I think, because again, I wouldn't write from a, this is me. I wouldn't write from a space that I've not lived, Mm -hmm. but I would try to create a world. And I think most readers want a world that is inclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in that vein, writing characters that are from multiple backgrounds, multiple ethnicities, don't all look the same. Great. Using them to say that you have them, really problematic because you're just you're just using them you're capitalizing off of them
0: also important to do your research in whatever capacity it is if you're going to include characters from the middle east do your research the middle east understand how they don't all look the same how they don't all speak arabic uh how they don't all you know insert they're not all muslim whatever it is that you're doing do your research this is just an example of course but i think it's just important to come go ahead yes (laughs) i was saying i just come in with an informed perspective.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think there is value in repeating history and culture and in using those influences to inspire new works. I think there's problematic potential when you directly represent those works and change them. I think, have influences, babe, have them, but I don't think, for example, Norse mythology, it's very frequently referenced. It's often incorrectly referenced if you're trying to do a direct line you know who odin was, who loki was, etc. is often kind of miscolored and misrepresented in a very similar way to the greek gods. How they came into being, who they are. There's a lot of classical literature and a lot of classical study around them, so it's much easier to humanize and personify them in a completely different capacity than what they would have been, which is fine as long as you're not implying that that is accurate historical knowledge or that it is accurate cultural knowledge. I think that's that's the the line for me in terms of I always use a lot of cultural waypoints. I never use the culture itself as as the point of contact if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I almost never do. <laughs>
0: Talking about of the French portion, because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are, <laughs> <Yes>. are, <those laughs> I
1: was awesome. like, I never do, I do, I have a huge proportion of my book that's based on that on historical France, but, but <laughs> it's not intended to be a historical fiction in the sense that I'm not trying to, a- I'm trying to accurately represent the culture that I'm writing about, mm-hmm. but I'm not trying to represent it as historically accurate or correct in terms of this is a nonfiction piece.
0: Yeah, of course. But that would be called narrative nonfiction if you're trying to be historically accurate for anyone who's interested. If you're trying to talk tell a story about France under Louis the Fourteenth, that's narrative nonfiction. Moving on. Um, the most recent scandal on book talk is this author oh, yeah. who <laughs> who came forward and she said um that anyone who's rating books below three stars is in the wrong, and at a minimum you should be rating a book three stars. And I'm trying to remember exactly what three categories she used, but it was kind of like a person wrote the book, a person got the book edited and the person got the book published. And these are like the three like parameters to which you should be like rating a book. That's three things. That's three stars. And of course book talk is in a frenzy over this because they don't agree with it. And, and I'm curious to hear your take on it, because mine is just, I think we discussed this kind of earlier and agreed that no one is rating your book based on the fact that you wrote it and all the hard work that went into that. No one is rating it saying, like, you didn't even try. Maybe that's one of the comments and it's a contributing factor.
1: <laughs> and that's why you shouldn't read comments as an author.
0: <laughs> but it, just avoid them at all costs. But the point is, no one here who's rating your book. Let's say I put a book out and it gets one-star rating. I don't think anyone's rating it a one-star because I didn't do it. Because I didn't work hard at doing it. It's the content. Yeah, it's the
1: content itself. I think... For me, my barometer for ratings is around my engagement in the novel, Mm -hmm. how well I thought the story developed, how well I thought the characters developed, how much it hooked me, you know, all these different things. How well they covered a specific trope or didn't cover a specific trope if they advertised it, um, how interesting the world was, all that kind of stuff. So for me, like a one or two star is like the world wasn't interesting, the characters didn't make sense, or there was so much going on that it became untenable to read it Mm -hmm. and or the writing was so bad that i couldn't understand the plot like that for me is like a one or two star normally for me three stars is like it was fine Mm -hmm. you know it was it was okay um it didn't for me massively drag me in it didn't massively hook me i wasn't super invested in what happened to the characters i might read to finish it like the borderlands princess would be a good example of like a three Mm, two and a half star <laughs> read for me um but but what i mean is like it wasn't horrible it wasn't terribly written it just wasn't well written it wasn't exceptional it wasn't super intense and you know it didn't completely hook me mm-hmm. but it had interesting plot elements it had points that were good it just didn't have a lot of points that were good to the point that i enjoyed it at a four or five
0: well, ultimately as an author, you don't get to decide what readers are going to write your book and it's not up to you and it's not. And, and I directly understand how hard it is to put your own work out there and be criticized. And for people to say, I thought this was the worst thing I've ever read. I thought it was so stupid. I think this is so dumb. What a terrible concept you should never write again. That's hard. Um, and no one is denying that. However, if that's truly how they feel, and maybe they're just doing that because they're miserable, who knows? People probably rate one star for the sake of rating one star. That's their choice. But you don't, again, you have no control over that as an author. And to come out, especially as an author who I don't know if she's even published yet, but either way, when you're an author and you're putting out hot takes on TikTok, you got to be so careful because the internet is forever and publishers are more and more looking at online presence and seeing like, what is this author involved in have they done anything controversial that we need to be aware of or concerned with because i think even they understand that book talk is very influential when it comes to fiction
1: it surely is it's one of my primary sources and actually it's interesting because i as a reader don't rate any books i don't really rate anything even if i went to a great restaurant it's just not in my dna to be like um oh. Five stars, loved it here. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not something I, I, it's not an impulse I have. So, like, even if I have a great book that I've finished, my five star review is telling Emma about it.
0: Contrarily, my one star star
1: review (laughs) is telling Emma about it. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not, I don't personally feel like, my opinion needs to be a decision making factor for other people which is wild because i'm doing a podcast with exactly that intention but here we are okay we are walking contradictions but i i just it's not it's not an impulse i have to be like publicly rating something i also i know that people don't get paid for reviews but there's an element of it where a lot of content creators make money off of reviewing things so i personally don't put a ton of stock in a specific Mm -hmm. like star rating that will make me or not make me read a book for me most of the time it's does the person who's reviewing it so i'm a i'm a book talk girly 10 out of 10 i am does the person reviewing it have similar taste in books to me if so then i will probably like it if they have different taste in books to me i probably won't like it And, and i use that as like a general barometer but i'm not I'm not super worried about how many stars they would give it or like that alone isn't a factor to deter me from reading it
0: i don't think i've ever looked at a book review and it was like so bad one star and not still give it a try or read it if i was interested in the plot based on like what i had heard or read and i've seen Do you books- know where
1: stars have me in a chokehold though is amazon prime if i'm yeah, buying something definitely. off of amazon prime the reviews have me in an absolute chokehold and I will read every single one. That's that's anyway.
0: different. You know, <laughs> that's not like, Oh, it's not to my taste. It's more like this did not do what it said it was going to do. And... This was made
1: of plastic
0: and snapped. <laughs> like... <laughs> so problematic for a bed frame. I have to say, um,
1: yeah. yeah, you had your bed frame drama.
0: Oh my God. I can't even get into it. The whole it's fine now it's built, but I resent it still. I'm still mad at it. So anyway, I digress. Um, I've seen books I like get one star reviews of people that didn't like it. And I'm sorry if yeah. you can hear Lori drinking in the background. She's a thirsty girl. Stay hydrated, kids. Listen, <laughs> it's important. If my dog can do it, so can you. So, the, my point is if you're going to put out a hot take as an author, make sure it's one that you can back up and isn't just based on your entitlement to what you think you deserve as an author.
1: One, well, also, like, think about the ramifications of your choice. So, let's say that you're like, if you don't give me three stars, I'm going to lose my rag. Is that going to make people read your book? I, I don't think so. And the whole purpose of you coming on was obviously to encourage people to A, read your book, and also B, to rate your book higher, more highly. Mm. So I don't think it accomplished either of those things. You know, and everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone is entitled to their opinion but you don't have to say that opinion on the public internet you can say that opinion to your friends and you can rant and rave about it and it would have been fine no one would have been upset Mm -hmm. your friends probably would have been like why are you talking about this that's kind of a petty concern but fine like we can we can go through it but you know it doesn't always have to be the internet i think there's this weird I i don't know i say that there's this weird cultural phenomenon of like i have to put it on the internet if it's really a big deal to me but the one time i really hated a book like hated i did want to put a review on tiktok because i hated it so much so it is (laughs) it is an ingrained impulse but an impulse nonetheless (laughs) that if you really really loathe something you have to tell people um but i think you can just tell your close others sometimes and maybe let them gatekeep for you what you tell the internet and what you don't but all god's children make your own choices do whatever you want
0: (laughs) well and if you're going to put your work out there in whatever medium that is you gotta have thick skin no matter what it is or who you are, you got to have a thick exterior because the people on the internet are mean, really mean. Read my Reddit experience, just trying to get a query letter critique. People are mean and they're not constructive and yeah. you're not going to get valuable feedback from most of them. And this is why I've seen authors come out and say like, one of the things I had to really like teach myself not to do was to not read comments on Goodreads reviews. Yeah, Like, don't do it. Don't do it to yourself.
1: But I think that's also a life lesson, like, I don't think there's any value in deriving your self-worth, your view of yourself, your opinion on how well you're doing in life from other people's perspective, Mm -hmm. especially people who don't know you when you have a people pleasing mentality, when you go after specific adoration or specific validation, you will always feel empty, hollow, shallow, etc. And, you know, I'm not saying that from a moral high horse. I've I've never done that. I'm saying that from the ground zero of like, I have done that so many times, whether it's career, whether it's personal life, I have craved specific validation or specific approval. And all it's left me is hungry, thirsty, empty, etc. And Mm -hmm. I think the more you're interested in those external opinions on yourself actually the more it's pointing to let's let's look inward and let's let's have a moment to talk to ourselves and let's see where we're trying to get this identity from and, and why we're trying to seek it from those sources because those people don't know you those people don't know what you're going through to emma's point earlier they have no idea how late you stayed up working on that book and to be honest they probably don't care because it's <laughs> the lesson of the 30s it's not about you however they're writing about your book, however they're writing about your content, however they feel about it, it's not about you. It's it's about them. <laughs> like no one thinks about you as much as you do. <laughs> it It's probably nothing to do with you as a person, your validity as, as a person, you know, your validity as a writer, your validity, et cetera. It's all about how they feel about a specific thing. Unless you're doing something like super morally wrong, in which case it is about you and you should change, i.e using people, abusing people,
0: oppression, etc. Then it's, it's about you. It's one or the other. <laughs> you decide. Yeah. So the, the moral of the story, don't put out hot takes on TikTok unless you're ready for the backlash, especially if you have yet to release your work. Don't do it.
1: And unless you want to defend them. If, if you really feel like I am willing to die on this mountain, then you go do it, sister. Get out there. But, you know, don't go into it eyes wide shut and be like, oh,
0: there's not going to be an impact to me. <laughs> like me no three stars that's fair and i'm like three stars is pretty good so if that's your baseline it's five stars then would be nothing
1: so actually this is completely unrelated but yet totally related okay there was a a tiktok that i saw that no it was a podcast that then became a tiktok anyway there were two separate mentions of it about how men and women start their rating systems of you know their partners um and most of the time men start at a zero Mm -hmm. and the women have to or the person has to work their way up to a 10. and women almost always start at a 10 and they work their way down to zero. so for example if you go on a first date as a woman your perspective is typically this person's amazing this person's so great and then you slowly pick up on these red flags or like micro problems that bringing them down bringing them down okay they're a nine but they're a great nine. Oh, oh they're an eight. Ooh, oh they're a seven god they're a five you know and so you're, you're working backward basically instead of working upward whereas men typically work upward and they go uh she showed up and she looks great or he showed up or they showed up and they look great ten uh then they said something i didn't like two and and they're doing this constant like abacus math as you're there working upward and i thought that was really interesting hmm. and definitely true for me i i and i i guess somewhat it's it's like possibly a psychological symptom of othering but you assume that everyone else is doing great until you see a reason that they're not doing great yeah and that's potentially the highlight reel of the social media of it all but i just think that's really interesting
0: as a concept i do agree and i think it can be applied to many many different facets of life i agree i agree so the final topic for this evening is topic for this, this evening is a discussion in when how do I describe this when authors anachronisms just, well yes that's the easiest way to say it isn't it anachronisms thank you for taking my mental struggle <laughs> and putting it into one word it's great but basically what we mean by that is when you're reading a book <laughs> and the character describes a sensation or a thing of some kind that they should have no business knowing what that thing or sensation is. And there's no indication in the book thus far that they would have any idea what that feels like, what that smells like, what that tastes like, and so on. Yep. So we're going to have a little chit chat about that.
1: Certainly we are. Um, And actually nylon was invented by a scientist at DuPont in the 1920s. (laughs) So (laughs) I think there, there are oftentimes ways that our perspective as writers leaks into our work it is off-putting and kind of throws you out as a reader. Mm-hmm. It it mm-hmm. does. Like if, um, so Emma, your example earlier was like someone who grew up in a tropical climate knowing what the smell of like a piney mountain wintry scene was like. Mm-hmm. Like he smelled like fresh winter. And you're like, what do you know about winter? <laughs> you live on an island. <laughs> Sus. <laughs> I think the, the, <laughs> I think the other thing that happens quite a lot is like, they encounter a new sensation and they immediately understand it. Yeah. Like, if I didn't know what a blueberry tasted like, I wouldn't taste something and be like, oh my God, is that blueberry? Like, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be like, it's tart. It's got this kind of juicy freshness, but it, it's not quite sweet. And like, ooh, what's that? And then someone's like, that's a blueberry. And you're like, great. <laughs> so <laughs> now I know. Um, And when you know better, you do better. So, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, I think quite often it's like, the the taste or the scent hit me and i experienced it but you you would be describing it rather than naming it if it was the first time that you'd come across it
0: well and i had to do this a couple of times in my book and reel it back in of like it like i think at one point an example i've used i've seen other authors use Um, is the example of like the feeling of electricity on your skin, which is basically saying like your hair is standing on end or like your nerves are alight with feeling whatever it is you're trying to say. Zappies, 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 (laughs) zappies. But then you think about, you are like I've never indicated there's electricity in my world. I've always mentioned torches or fires or something like that. Um, or candles on a chandelier. So I've never indicated that there should be an electrical system. So now I have to go through the process of describing what an electrical feeling would feel like to a character who would have no idea what that's called. And And that's what I see a lot. And I don't think you have to
1: gild the lily in the sense that I think you can use words like chandelier. They're like Well, I haven't invented a chandelier in my universe, so how can I use the word chandelier? So it's this many tiered hanging light. Like, I I think there are, there are ways that you can use words (laughs) that you don't need to fully reinvent it and describe it in your own setting. But I think it has to fit within your setting. So for example, if you're talking a medieval setting where they did use fire or candles for lighting instead of electricity, then you need to treat your surroundings thusly yeah comparatively if you have a reason to have some sort of an energy or electricity that's powering your systems you don't need to worry about that because you explain that in part of your world building and so it's not foreign to have that sensation or to see that
0: I just think it's interesting and it's something that I've seen people on book talk gripe about where it's kind of like how do you know how would you know that and I think as authors we can appreciate the the ease of just saying it's like such and such sensation here because we know what we're trying to describe and we, we want to have an omniscient point of view in our books. But if you're a first person point of view, I think there's a differentiation between that and being omniscient in the sense like you, the reader know what's going on, even if your character doesn't giving you an omniscient point of view, that does not mean that your character understands every single thing that you, the author, are trying to describe
1: yeah and and i think there's also something to be said for accurately representing processing so another thing that happens quite a lot that's similar to this is like if someone receives new information for the first time and they immediately are fine like yeah. they don't take any time to process it they just like yep totally got it so if you're experiencing an entirely new place or an entirely new sensation or an entirely new feeling as a person that takes a lot of processing like you have to really work through that internally or externally but you have to work through that you're not just like boop like i'm totally fine a great example would be someone who doesn't drive. The first time you drive, you're not like, I feel totally comfortable. I have no questions, (laughs) unless you're a sociopath. So, (laughs) so, but you know what I mean? Like you, you are unsure, you're thinking about everything. There's a lot of internal or external processing that's happening in this new experience. And I think sometimes because we, the writers have had an experience and we aren't processing that, we forget that for the character they should be. And Mm -hmm. so we underwrite an experience.
0: Yeah, I mean I had to definitely be cognizant of that and like it's like how would I react in that situation? And I then I notch it up five more points from that.
1: I consider what Mussolini would do and I dial it back. <laughs> 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 um no I, I agree. And I think there's also an element of like considering how long it would take someone to get over something based on the type of character development you've already done. So if Mm -hmm. your character's really forgiving, being consistent with that. Equally, if your character's really obstinate and stubborn, being consistent with that. Um, And as a reader, it's one of the things that's hardest to grapple with sometimes is if someone is painted, like you've gotten to know them as like a really stubborn person. They really dig their heels in, they, they know their point of view, they feel their point of view, like all of Mm -hmm. it, and Mm -hmm. they're they're in it. And then all of a sudden they're like, huh, okay. You're like, what did you have an ice pick lobotomy like why why are you suddenly fine and chill as a cucumber when all this is happening like you you as a person wouldn't react like that and it's oftentimes emma's pet peeve because it had to happen that way for the story but (laughs) it doesn't make it a good plot point
0: it's a whole episode on its own because it drives me such so up a wall to see that where people are like it can't it can't just be because it's not a reason it's not a plot point it's it's not plot progression. It's you, as the author, not planning a story. You don't have a story if you say things have to happen just because. Okay, you just don't. You just and that's don't. Where, that's where I'm going to stop on that. So, so yeah. Um, just I guess what I had to learn and what I would encourage other authors to do is just keep in mind not only as Hannah said the character traits of your MCs, your characters are reacting however they are and being consistent with those reactions, but just keeping in mind where your story is and are you including things in that story that don't belong there or would it make sense to be there? Because nothing takes me out of the story quicker than being like, hmm, I don't know how you would know that.
1: Yeah, and I'm a much more forgiving reader than Emma, but I too think about this. I just, I think the the difference is Emma's like, she's putting down the book, she's done, she's ranting about it, how dare they? And I'm like, huh? that doesn't make sense turns page so i i
0: think it's <laughs> that's the difference <laughs> maybe but i mean i write for i write under the assumption that readers are like me so it yeah. helps me it helps me be more polished i think when i approach it as like yeah. readers are not going to be forgiving in this this sort of um context so i need to be as on point as i possibly can be so
1: well and also like Emma, we can talk about this in another episode, but Emma has so much organization around her plot. Like there is nary a plot hole. She does spreadsheets. She's got post-it notes. She's got the whole thing mapped out. And I can't remember the name of it now, but you said it's like a planner or a pantser or something like that. I think there's like a huge element of it for me that's- I'm so not organized about how my plot goes. it's something I'm having to learn to adapt to much more, to help me get across the creative things that I want, because the way that it comes to me is not in an organized plot. it does not come in sequential stages. I'm like, oh what about that? and then let's try that! and then oh my goodness wouldn't that be so cool? and then I end up like with a giant knot of string that's like all these different pieces it's like, right, so how are they going to get to the dining room? <laughs> it's just very, it's hectic, but she loves it, you know.
0: So a there we are. She she's a panzer, and that's just how that it is. I so much. Panzer flies by the seat of her pants. Panzer. Um, I'm more of a planner, but I consider myself kind of a combination of the two because as much as I do have spreadsheets and like little notepads of like, make sure you mentioned this happened at this point, whatever, just in case. Um, I don't sit there and map out every plot point that occurs. It. There are some chapters or rather there are some authors that get really in depth with their chapters. of like, this needs to happen. This needs to happen. This needs to happen. And I don't do that. I kind of like there's a flow to it. And then I sit back and I think, does that work for what I need to have happen later? And that's where my thought process comes in. So there are times when I read back and I'm like, that's kind of a plot hole and I go back and fix it. So like Hannah, I found a plot hole, something I wrote like two weeks ago something I just completely glossed over and it was like kind of small, but it would have been enough to be like you'd quirk a brow when you read it. So. Hmm.
1: So I think that kind of gets us to the end of the road. I I, um, don't think we have much more to cover for this literarily speaking episode. Uh, Is there any final thought that you would like to impart?
0: Um, own up your kinks; those are yours. Be proud of them. I don't really want to Wave read about. Leave that flag, honey. I don't want to read about all of them, but that's just that's just me. Um, but
1: we have the choice to not, and there there are
0: a plethora of options for those of you who wish to. There is, and it's that's just good. categorize <laughs> them accurately. That's all we ask. Um Stay off of Goodreads if you're a vindictive author, and um, be consistent. Those are my final thoughts, and stay in school. <laughs> yeah, and drugs are not cool no matter how many times people hugs, say. Hugs not are. drugs. <laughs> and... Consensual hugs, everybody.
1: Conse- consensual hugs. Not all of us are out in the street wanting to hug strangers. N- I don't want to be you know? hugged by strangers. I don't like to be touched. I don't.
0: Do no touchy. No, touch.
1: I... no touchy touchy. So <laughs> Cusco. <laughs> uh, I think that kind of brings us to a close. It I don't does. have any other notes. Okay. So great
0: i have been hannah and i remain emma
1: and this was literarily speaking bye, bye.